0: Good morning. morning. Let's begin class with prayer today. Our gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to come together and talk about fruits of the Spirit today. And we ask that the Spirit will come and enlighten our minds and help us not only understand but experience the fruits, the transforming qualities that you would have us experience. We pray in your holy name. Amen. And we are doing lesson number seven in the quarterly The Holy Spirit and Spirituality. And the title is The Holy Spirit and the Fruit of the Spirit. And when you think of the word fruit... Don't put of the spirit quite yet, just fruit. What lessons, what what comes to mind with that word? The product of something else, right? The fruit is the product, typically of plant. But isn't fruit something that is often nutritious? What about spiritual fruit? Should they nurture? A healthy plant brings forth healthy fruit, and a diseased plant brings forth diseased fruit. Is this true regarding fruits of the Spirit? We have a diseased character. Do you realize that fruit is a product of intimacy? Offspring are often referred to as the fruit. Are fruits of the Spirit a result of intimacy with God? Fruit are typically something that is fertile. The seeds of the of the plant are almost always in the fruit, capable of reproducing itself. What about spiritual fruit? Should they be fertile, contribute to more growth and the spread of more spiritual fruit? Do fruits occur on immature or mature plants? They have to reach a certain level of maturity before they produce fruit, don't they? Mm-hmm. What about spiritual fruits? Do we experience spiritual fruit in immature or mature people? In fact, aren't the fruits the evidence of the growing up, of the maturing? Yeah. So with that in mind, what enhances maturation growing up and what impairs maturation and growing up? At Augusta National, it's a golf course in Augusta for those who don't know where they play the Masters each year. They're renowned for their beautiful azaleas. But if it's a warm season and the azaleas are going to come into bloom before the event and they want the azaleas blooming those four days of the event, do you know what they do? They ice them. They put ice on the plants. They ice them down to slow the blooming, slowing the maturation. Is there a spiritual lesson in that? Does it have any correspondence to the spiritual world? Think about Laodicea. Hot? Is it accidental that the, in other words, this idea of being cold, cold-hearted, does that help with spiritual fruit or does that impair spiritual fruit? Is it an accident that the Holy Spirit is represented as fire? Do we need a certain warmth of heart in order to grow spiritually? What does it mean spiritually to be cold or lukewarm? What's it mean spiritually, to be cold or lukewarm? Does it mean to be non-religious?
1: No.
0: Not totally. She said not totally.
1: Well,
2: lukewarm would be mediocre. You know, you're not religious, you're not... Yeah. You're just kind of in between. Cold would be, I would think.
0: And so what, how do we get lukewarm, typically? How can you, how can you make a lukewarm whatever? Mixing hot and cold, right? So my understanding of the Laodicean lukewarm has always been people who are appearing hot in their religious zeal to keep the rules, but hearts are cold without compassion, without love. And so they are and this is if you read the Laodicean Message, they are think they're filled with riches and goods, but they're really poor, blind, miserable, and naked. Okay. So these are religious people who are really hot for the rules but don't have a heart that loves people. They're cold as heart.
1: Oh, cold.
0: So the hot and the cold together makes them lukewarm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and the, if the message of Laodicea says, I would rather you be hot or cold, lukewarm is the worst because that's the hypocrites. Okay, yeah, comment.
3: I understand that Laodicea, there were hot springs some distance away. By the time they got there, they had cooled off. So they were separated from the source of heat and turned into lukewarm simply because they weren't kept hot.
0: So this is another element we're going to get to as well. So having maybe an experience with Christ, but not maintaining that experience. And typically people who have that, what is it historically that you can think of that causes people to, to miss that connection or lose it? This is something we've talked about in here, the difference between apostolic conversion and modern-day conversion. When a convert was converted in the, in the book of Acts, did certain events happen immediately? What happened right at conversion? When people gave their heart to Jesus let him in, I, uh, uh, what would they do right then? <laughs> Baptize. Remember Philip and the eunuch? Remember the, the day of Pentecost? Baptize. Boom. Right then. This is why they had a lot of behavior problems that they were dealing with in the church because they didn't require them to go through an indoctrination class first. They became church members. But they didn't have all the, all the, the historical baggage of a life in paganism cleaned up yet. And so Paul is writing to the Corinthians and so forth and telling them, we don't do that anymore. That's not how we act. But they were already baptized. What happens in many churches today? Except Jesus and then... Baptized then, or sinner's prayer, followed by indoctrination classes. And during the indoctrination classes, they're instructed that they have to give up a job that keeps them from coming to church on the right day of the week. They have to give up, the, change their diet, they, certain things they can't drink. If they smoke, they have to stop that. All these things that they have to clean their life up before they're allowed to experience the symbolism of immersing their lives in Jesus Christ. Think that through. We have to clean ourselves up enough so that Christ will accept us. And then what happens, I think, cold formalism disconnects them and we end up with a system. And the reason why people, why, why, why would the institutions do this? Because they're focusing on institutional protection rather than saving people. We can't let people into the institution and have voting rights in a, in a denominational organization until they... Have given up their Sabbath job, have stopped eating the wrong foods, have given up drinking, have stopped smoking, because it will corrupt the institution. We had to protect the institution. Better for one man to die than the nation of Israel be destroyed. Let's protect the institution. And so I think you're right, but I think this is one mechanism, maybe not the only mechanism, but one mechanism whereby the first love is crushed out with a burden and coldness. And we ha- now have a system of rules, but there's no warmth of love in the heart anymore. So the lesson says the fruit of the Spirit is not something we can achieve by purely human effort. In other words, we can't do it on our own. Would this, be, would this be similar to saying pregnancy is not something a woman can achieve purely on her own effort? A pregnancy requires something the woman does not possess on her own. What about fruits of the Spirit? Do they require something we don't possess ourselves? However, a pregnancy does require the woman contribute something of her own. Can't produce it without something she doesn't possess, but she has to contribute something as well. What about fruits of the Spirit? Do they require that we contribute something of our own? What? What must we contribute in order to experience fruits of the Spirit?
2: Surrender our will to the Holy
4: Spirit.
0: She says we must surrender our will to the Holy Spirit. Ascent. Ascent. We must contribute our heart, our desires, our motives, our will. Yes, we have to contribute our individuality, our identity, ourselves. Sunday's lesson. The lesson asks us to read John fifteen one through 11, but I thought we'd go through verse 15 and say, add four verses. And I'll read to you from the remedy. So if you have whatever version, you can follow along. So as we were walking, as they were walking, Jesus saw a grapevine and pointed to it and said, I am the vine from which all truth and life originates. And my father is the gardener who tends the vine. You are the branches which have life and grow as long as you're connected to me. Any branch that does not grow and bring forth the fruit of a transformed character reveals that it is not genuinely connected to me. And therefore, my father will remove it. Any branch bringing forth fruit of a transformed character, my father prunes and disciplines in order to bring forth even more fruit. Your hearts have already been cleansed from the lies of Satan as a result of the truth I have revealed to you. Remain connected and in unity with me, and I will remain connected and in unity with you. No branch can live, grow, or bear fruit on its own and it must remain connected to the vine. Likewise, you do not have life and cannot grow and bear fruit unless you remain connected to me. I am the vine from which all truth and life originates, and you who receive truth and life from me are the branches. If a person remains connected to me and in unity with me, I will never sever the connection, and they will develop fruitful, godlike character. But separate from me, they can do nothing good. If anyone severs their connection with me and refuses to be reunited with me, they are like a branch that is cut off from the vine and thrown away and then withers and dies. Such dead branches are picked up thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain connected and in unity with me, and my character is reproduced in you, ask whatever you wish in harmony with my methods and principles, and it will be given to you. This healing of damaged hearts and minds, which results in the development of godly character in my followers, brings honor and glory to my Father, as it reveals that His methods are the only methods of life, health, and happiness. My love, for you is just as free, complete and abundant as my as the father's love for me. And just as the father loves, father's love lives in me and flows through me to the world, so you must continue to let my love live in you and flow through you to others. If you value my methods and practice my principles of selfless love, my love will live in you. Just as I have valued my father's methods and practice his principles of selfless love, and his love lives in and flows through me. I have told you this so that you may be completely restored to my father's original ideal for humankind to to unity with him and you may then experience the joy i have known in my unity with the father and then your joy will be complete also my prescription to heal your minds and hearts is this love each other as i have loved you there is no greater love there's no greater love than this that a person lay down their life to save their friends this is the principle of life, the central principle of the kingdom of God. This love is the remedy for the infection that is destroying mankind. The infection is this, Satan's wicked disease of survival of the fittest, which is preferring self so much that a person will kill their friends in order to save themselves. You are my friends if you take my prescription and love one another. I do not want you to be my servants because servants only do what they are told and do not understand the mas- what the master is doing, nor do they understand the master himself. Their hearts are not in harmony with the Master, and what they do, they do not do freely. I want you to be my friends, to understand what I am doing, and to freely choose to be in unity with me. That is why I have told you about everything the Father and I are working to accomplish, so your hearts and minds will be in harmony with us. What do you think it means? Any comments about the the, uh, passage? Any questions, comments? Do you see design law described here? Do you see natural consequences right here? Uh, how vines and, and uh, branches are connected and how life is automatic when the branch is connected to the vine. How you can only have life as you continue to let the, the life blood, which is the principles of love, flow through you. As you have received, so you give and so forth. As you have loved me, love others. But what do you think it means for the Father to prune? What kind of things does the Father prune in us?
1: Well, I hope he prunes the pathways we've developed towards bad things in our life, our
0: mental pathways. Okay, so habits, unhealthy desires, attachments to things that are not healthy for us. Okay, yes, I agree with all that. Yeah, absolutely, it's very necessary, yes.
3: I discovered a few months ago that word it says, every branch that doesn't bear fruit that he cuts off.
1: Mm-hmm. The original
3: language doesn't say cut off, it says lift up. Mm-hmm. Branch cannot produce fruit laying on the ground. The branch has to be lifted up so it can produce fruit, which is a, an entirely different meaning.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. That's true. Yeah, I've heard that too. Thank you. Yes.
3: But what about truth versus lies? They're the lies to of
0: lies the truth. So okay, I love that too. Yeah. So he's not only the bad habits, the bad pathways, the unhealthy desires, but he is pruning out the distortions, pruning out the lies and misunderstandings. Absolutely, love that. Something else, though, and I agree with all that. It's all on the list. Anything else? How about he prunes away our guilt? He prunes away our shame. He prunes away our fears, our insecurities, our doubts, our worries. Does he prune those things away? Think about the things that impair the ability to bring forth fruit. Not only do the lies impair, not only do bad habits impair, Aren't people often impaired because they're burdened with guilt? They're burdened with shame. They don't think they're good enough to represent the Lord. They won't step out and witness because they're the worst sinner ever. And and, and it impairs their ability to bring forth fruit, doesn't it? So does he remove these and restore in us Christ-like character, his love that we know that we're accepted and valued and, and builds us back up?
4: It also says he will never sever you. It says, but those that sever themselves...
0: Yes. That's right. The severing... Are, can people sever themselves from Christ? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. And then what happens when a branch severs from the vine? It's a good lesson. Nice. It dies. Notice, it's not executed by the, by, the, by the vine. The vine doesn't execute the branch that breaks itself off. It's a very powerful design law lesson
2: yes
4: i was impressed uh, maybe that i do not have as much joy as it is described in this passage you know it talks
1: about joy and mm-hmm. joy is complete and that's maybe not an
4: attribute that we often think about
0: and joy is in tuesday's lesson and we're going to talk about joy. No, this is good. We want to talk about joy. It's in the lesson. A couple points, and we're going to come back to joy. <laughs> not, put it, not, not not, diminishing it, because I think it's a very important thing we talk about. Um, did you want to share something about how you've experienced more joy?
4: Um, that I had to be mindful of it. That, okay. That, okay, joy is not something you conjure up, okay? But it can be quenched.
0: Joy. It can be
4: covered up and, and hidden if, if you don't allow it to be itself.
0: Joy is analogous, not the same as, but analogous to happiness. Right. And both of these are byproducts of something else. Right. You cannot get happiness by pursuing happiness. If you pursue happiness, you won't find it. It's like trying to go out into the natural world and find plastic. You cannot go out in the world and find a vein of plastic running through a uh, 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 a granite, or or in in, in a, you can't find a mine of plastic. You can't find trees that produce plastic. Plastic is a byproduct of something else, petroleum in this case. Happiness is a byproduct. Joy is a byproduct. And many of my patients, I get time Patients come to see me, and, and I say, "What is your goal for God? I want to be happy. I want to be happy. I want to be happy. Okay." Nothing wrong with wanting to be happy, but happiness is a byproduct. You pursue it, you can't get it. But you can pursue the primary product, which produces happiness. You can go out and hunt for oil, okay, petroleum, and then you can make plastic. Okay, what is the primary? Healthiness.
4: Yeah, peace of mind.
0: Healthiness in all, primarily four domains. Four domains. And you think about these four domains. One, physical wellness. If you're physically unwell, you have a fever of 103, you're vomiting, you're nauseated, you've got pain really bad, you're sick, you're physically unwell. You've been in a car accident, you've got broken legs, you're in the ICU. Uh, When you're physically unwell, are you happy? Physical unwellness undermines happiness. Two, psychological unwellness. People inside their head, I suck, I'm awful, I'm ugly, everything I do is wrong, nobody likes me, I'm and you have negative, pessimistic, destructive patterns of thinking. Are you happy? no relational problems you're in conflict with your spouse with your kids with uh, people at church you're you're in conflict and and you're being rejected uh, so forth are you happy no spiritual unwellness you're under guilt and shame and feel you're under the condemnation of god and and you're on the outs and you have you don't have spiritual peace are you happy no these are the four primary domains you can't pursue happiness but you can pursue healthiness And so you can say, I'm not happy. Okay, where am I not healthy? (gasps) Oh, I need to adjust with that. Now, you have total control as an adult. As an adult, you have total control over two of those four domains. You only have influence over the other two. The two you have total control over, which means it's totally up to you and your choices. That's what I mean. Psychological and spiritual. They're up to you. The other two, the physical and relational, they're not totally up to you. Lots of things can happen in this world that can affect your physical health. You can definitely make choices that destroy your health, or you can make choices that are healthy, but things can happen. You can get exposed to an infection. You can have a toxic environmental exposure. You can have uh, somebody assault you. You can be in a motor vehicle accident. Things can happen to you that can undermine your physical health. It's not your fault. Same thing with relational health. Things can happen that are no one's fault. People can die and you can lose somebody. And while you're grieving, your happiness is undermined. You've lost somebody you love. You're ha- you're not happy at that moment. You can have somebody reject you. Jesus and Judas. Judas rejects Jesus. That did not bring happiness to Jesus. It was, it was an unhappy moment for him. Peter denying him and cursing and so forth. Jesus didn't look out there with happiness and joy at what Peter was doing. That was undermining his happiness and joy. But Jesus still had peace with himself. And so as you look at this aspect of joy and happiness, this is a byproduct of healthiness in various, various domains. And sometimes our joys and happiness are undermined because of sin in the world, not because of some neglect on our part. But it's appropriate to look and see, is there something I can do to improve this?
4: Sometimes we make choices that block.
0: That's correct. And sometimes we make choices. And that's usually going to be a psychological piece. That, uh, and, you, and you've seen this. I remember as a kid, there were some times I didn't get my way, and I was in pouty mode. <laughs> anybody ever been in pouty mode? And I remember a couple times when I was in pouty mode, and uh, I didn't something. And then, and then the family was going to do something, play a game. Uh, I was going to go, let's go for a walk, whatever. And I was, no I'm not going to have any fun. I'm not going to enjoy that. Okay, you can't make somebody else respond with joy. You can't do it. And you can block joyful experiences from bringing joy if you're in a mode where you don't want that. Does that make sense? So yeah. So uh, back to to the uh, uh, lesson here. Um, It talks about abiding in Christ. What does it mean to abide in Christ? This is uh, from General Conference Bulletin, May 17, 1909. Here's what uh, was taught back in 1909. See if you think this is so relevant today. To abide in Christ means that you shall be a partaker of, of the divine nature. Humanity lays hold upon divinity, and you have divine power. Do do you think that is true still today? That to be abiding Christ means we become a partaker of the divine nature. That's, of course, referring to Peter. Peter says that we become partakers of the divine nature. Great. That's okay. That's great. But how? Now, that's good. How? What are the elements we must partake of in order to be partaking of the divine nature? And I'm going to tell you there are two core elements that we must consciously, willfully, purposely partake of in order to be partaking of the divine nature. And then also practice and apply. What are they? Well, I'm going to read to you first out of uh, That I May Know on page 49. The blessed Redeemer has set up an example in living out the precepts of the law. Pause. What lens are you looking through? What level of maturity are you when you hear words like this? The, div- uh, the blessed Redeemer, speaking of Jesus, has set up an example by living out the precepts of the law. Or do you, Does your mind immediately see two stone tablets and ten rules? If that's what you see, you're level four and below. Because that's not what this author is talking about, and I can prove it to you because the very next words I'm going to read to you Here's the very next words, level five and above. is about love, it's about design laws, about how life is constructed. Here's the very next words. He said to his father, followers, freely you ha- have received, freely give. Now what do you hear about the law? This is the vine and the branches. The vine gives freely. It's nurturing uh, fluids and stuff to the branches. Freely gives. This is the law of love in action. Every breath you take, you give away carbon dioxide, and the plants give back oxygen to you. Freely you have received. Freely give. This is the principle of giving. This is design laws, not rules. We are to have an open heart to receive the rich treasures. Notice, open heart, to receive... Branches receiving from the vine the rich treasures of, treasures of heaven, and our hearts are to be opened to let those rich treasures out to others. Functional. See how it's working? We're receiving, and then we're producing fruit. The branch receives the nurturance from the vine. The fruit's produced in the end of the branch. The fruits are given away to nurture others. See the design law? Well, this is not rules. Oh, we need to abide in Christ. Then we will be a constant Channel. What's a channel? What's a channel? Conduit. Yeah, artery, through which God will communicate to our brethren and to the world His own gracious Spirit. And what is all that describing? Living out the law. Wow, that 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 sounds a whole lot different than the list of rules on a checklist. Yeah, where was the Sabbath in that? Yeah. <laughs> So the first element to partake of the divine nature and to be abiding in Christ is to love. To receive love and to give love. That's the first element. Here's the second. This is out of Review and Herald, Marks 4, 1884. Except you abide in me, says Christ, you can do nothing. We need him every day. We cannot part from him for an hour. Every faculty of our being belongs to him and should be dedicated to a service. My brethren, if you know that this union with Christ is required of you, and then neglect to maintain a constant walk and to live in the exercise of faith, the heart will become hardened in, diso- in disobedience. What's described there? If you know that you need to stay connected to the vine, partaking of Jesus Christ, and you choose not to, your heart becomes hardened. What's being described? A natural consequence. Is what's being described. The tendency is to become self-important and emboldened in wrong course. It is your duty to abide in Christ. We must daily be learners in his school. What are the three primary evidence pathways in his school? Do you remember other quotes? Does your does your when you read things, does your brain automatically bring up and collate and integrate other Evidences in Scripture and other writings that you can say, okay, that collates with this, and it all fits together, a nice puzzle piece. Or do you see these as standalone ideas? If we see and read things as standalone ideas, we often get confused. It all integrates into a vast, beautiful mosaic of how reality, the fabric of of the cosmos, all fits together. So, what what are his three threads? The school of God, God's divine nature is seen clearly in what He has made. So, nature and science. All scripture is, all scripture inspired of God is given for rebuke, teaching, correcting, training, and righteousness. So, scripture. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Experience. Three evidentiary threads that are given to us to be integrated. Scripture, science, nature, science and nature, and experience. Those three. Those are his school. We must know the way, we must know the way ourselves before we can teach others how to walk in it. Wow. Think that through in any subject matter. Think that through in any subject matter. How many want to go to a French teacher who can't speak French? (laughs) A music teacher who can't play an instrument? Seriously. How many Christians are trying to teach others about Christ and they don't know him? Yes. Yes.
2: I'm still thinking on the emotional elements of this, back when Wendell brought up Joy and all, which is uh, how many, I've been sitting here thinking about how many Christians I've known through my life that the emotional impact, some live in constant martyrdom. And if they're not constantly a martyr, they're not being a Christian. Others live in constant fear and doomsday every moment. <coughs>
0: And you And you just listed two as if they were separate they're not yeah, as soon as you said martyrdom, the first thing I thought, my mind, what's the primary motive of the martyr? fear yeah. it's the primary motive they're afraid they're afraid of misrepresenting they're afraid of reject- they're afraid of doing something, and so they live in this world of martyrdom, and that 's how they get a sense of security and feel safe because they're being martyred, and it gives them security to know that they 're right with the Lord, and if they 're not being martyred, then maybe they're not doing something right, so they better you know be a little bit more deviant from society so that they'll bring more pressure down on themselves.
2: But then there's also people who feel like if they're not all happy all the time, they're not being a Christian either. And I've been sitting here through this thinking about Christ and how he expressed all different emotions. He wept. He expressed joy. And it's something about the genuineness Uh, The focus has got to be the issue.
0: I like the word you just used there, genuineness. Being real. But see, being real means that we're being open. And being open means we're not living in fear of what others think of us. And the church conditions people to come to church with your mask on. Because, well, you can't come to church and say, Hey, I'm Tim, and I'm an alcoholic. That's for the twelve steps because at twelve steps they go, "Hey Tim, glad you're here." But at church they go, "Oh my God, you can't be in any offices. We've got to talk to the pastor. You're you're a deacon. We've got to get you removed." Right? Is it true? So you live in fear. You live in fear of being stoned. Yes.
4: One other thing about this is that it talks about branches. It's not one branch. Often within our church, within our community, within our associations, we expect one branch.
0: But there's one vine.
4: There's one vine. Yes. But there's the many branches. Right. We're all going to be individuals. We're all going to have an individuality about our religion and our talk and our walk and whatnot. We are not mere images of one individual or one.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant. And I love the fact that as soon as you brought it up. My mind hit another thing. You said there's there's multiple branches, but there's only one vine. And the reason I said that is because within human systems, many people try to graft themselves into another branch rather than graft themselves into a vine. They want to connect to a person. They want to be validated by a person. They want to be liked by a person. They want somebody else to give them a mission, somebody else to give them a a direction, somebody else to give them the right answer. They're looking for another human being that they graft themselves into rather than grafting into the vine. They're trying to draw nurturance and sustenance from a person. And this happens a lot. And thus, the, the, the person they grafted in might be connected to the vine, but what they're getting now is not as healthy. Shadow evil. Yes, and so forth. So that's great. Thank you for bringing that up. All right, so continuing on with the quote, because we're looking for the two elements. How do we abide in Christ? We've identified one element. The one element that is absolutely essential to abide in Christ is participate in his love, to experience his love, and to give, to love others, okay? But we're looking for the other element. Search the scriptures was the injunction, the master... Of the Master. Many have lost much because they have neglected this duty. When we search the Word of God, angels are by our side reflecting bright beams of light upon its sacred pages. The Scriptures appeal to man as having power to choose between right and wrong. They speak to him in warning and reproof and entreaty and encouragement. The mind must be exercised on the solemn truths of God's Word or it will grow weak. Why will the mind grow weak if we don't study and exercise our reasoning and thinking and comprehending capacities in studying the word. Why will the mind? Will, God send an angel to weaken our minds? This is a design law. it's a law of exertion. If you want something to get strong, you must exercise it, because if you don't use it, you lose it. That's exactly right. We have the truth brought out in publications, but it is not enough to rely on other men's thoughts branching into the branch. Okay, other men's thoughts. Okay, we must examine for ourselves and learn the reasons of our faith by comparing scripture with scripture. Notice here, for those who you know like Ellen White, she is holding up the standard of scripture. Scripture is what we must compare. It is the scripture that that we 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 find our beliefs in. We must understand what the scripture is teaching about the truth about God. Okay, that's that's the standard. Take the Bible and on your knees plead with God to enlighten your mind. If we would study the Bible diligently and prayerfully every day, we should every day see some beautiful truth in a new, and I love this, in a new, clear, enforceable light. Our ministers are failing here. They are not Bible students. They are weak where they might be strong. For they take things for granted without searching for themselves. Amen. Wow, that's prophetic. Yeah. Exactly. Wow, that was prophetic.
3: That's probably the best evidence that she was inspired. <laughs> there, that
0: yes, and what does it mean, take things for granted rather than searching for themselves? What is the second element? First element, in order to partake of God's nature, is partaking of his love. But there's one other element. What's the other element now? Truth. Truth. Thank you. It is the spirit of truth and the spirit of love. It's the partaking of both truth and love. And as you actively, intelligently, purposely, willfully choose to be a participant in truth and in love, you're partaking of the divine nature. Because God is love and God is truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And as we partake of those things, we're partaking of his very nature. It's not mystical. It's not amorphous. It's not putting the right you know, runes down in the right order and the right symbols down in the, in the right order and having the right uh, you know, uh, mantras being said over and over. It is actually reality, folks. Reality.
1: I don't know if I should submit this as being part of your list, but see what you think. Um, Isaiah 30, verse 15. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. And quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it.
0: And and so, uh, so your question?
1: No, it's not so much a question. as I'm submitting this as a... You said earlier on, how do we, you know, get strength? How do we uh, partake so that we develop and grow? And this seems to also add the element of accepting truth, accepting... Um, You're not fighting against God, but when you're pointed out to be wrong, that you repent like David did. And then trust.
0: And that would be an application of the truth. The truth has come to bear for David. You were wrong. David now had to decide do I embrace the truth and apply it or reject the truth? In application, that was the repentance aspect, but that's the application of the truth. Whereas Pharaoh, who had the truth presented to him, chose to reject the truth. But you're right, so the, so the truth applied, depending on what the truth is in the circumstances, sometimes leads us to repentance, because that's what the truth is calling us to do. But it's still an application of truth, isn't it? Yeah, and it's just
1: interesting to me that this isn't normally what we think of in terms of what is salvation and what is moral you know, strength or spiritual strength or growth. It mentions repentance, rest, quietness, and trust.
0: And what are those? They're experiencing... What, what are those? It's not just physical rest here. What kind of rest is this? It's an abiding experience with, with God.
1: confidence in God. Trust to me is is a confidence that He's going to do the He has your best interest at heart. You don't have to be afraid of Him.
0: And that's an application. And that's again, the, in my view, that's an application of the truth because you can only rest and trust Him if you know truly who He is. If you don't know Him. But so life eternals, they might know you. And so as you know him, you go, oh, that's true. Well, I can trust him with that then. So trust is a fruit, in my view, of a truth that's been experienced and who God is. Well, Did I, can you trust God if you don't really know him? No. You
1: shouldn't. Some people think they know God pretty well and they interpret his actions totally differently.
0: Yes, so are they trusting God or trusting something else? There are many gods in the world that are being trusted. Jesus said they searched the world to, to find a convert. Make it, he said, they'll come to me and say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and, and, and did all these things in your name. I never knew you. You, you might have used my name, J J E S U S. You might have the, sang the song. But it wasn't me. There's many false Christs who go out in the world. So I think you have to come back to two core elements to be partaker is truth that we apply that leads to actions like repentance and love. Those are the two core elements. There's another hand somewhere.
3: Yes. Go ahead.
1: I, I was just thinking, so many people in the world ha- think they know the truth, but the, and there's so many versions of the truth, and sometimes you're talking to somebody and they say they have the truth. And so...
0: That's why... So that's why we introduce the integrative evidence-based approach, which requires scripture to harmonize with science and nature and how reality actually works, experience. All three have to harmonize. When you do that, there are many interpretations of scriptures that are absolutely ruled out because they don't work. Classically, the coercive ones. All the ones that got in the role of acting coercively are immediately eliminated because love can never be generated by coercion. It doesn't work. It's a violation of the law of liberty. It's a violation of how real relationships work. And so it, it, it is a huge denial of reality. And so we say, well, well I must be misunderstanding. That's not how God works. Yeah. The
1: lesson said that faith leads to happiness.
0: I don't remember that sentence. But I would suggest that, that that statement in itself is not an absolute truth. It could be, depending on faith leads to happiness. It depends on who your faith is in. Is God. You can have faith in Buddha. You can have faith in Baal. You can have faith in, the, uh, in Donald Trump. Okay? I mean, you can have faith in lots of things. So faith leads to happiness. It depends on who your faith is in and whether it's an intelligent faith or an ignorant faith. Thank you. Because there's an ignorant faith out there that leads people to do foolish and destructive things. And so their faith. How, how many people in faith do harmful things? In faith. And those things they do that are harmful in faith don't lead to happiness or joy. They lead to pain and suffering. So I think that is, is a classic level four and below understanding because faith, in their view, is faith in the payment made by the sacrifice who has wiped away all my sins and now I can have joy knowing that I can't be punished by God who'd punish me if I didn't have faith in the payment.
1: While maintaining yourself just the way you really
0: are. Yeah, exactly. We're gonna, and let, let, I'm going to push on. Push on. Okay. So wh- so the question is what interferes then with growing up if tr- truth and love experienced or what's necessary to partake in Christ and then mature and grow up? What interferes with it? One is failure to think for yourself, failure to investigate. The evidence believing because someone else told you it was so resting satisfied on history failing to and failing to put into practice truths that you understand and are convicted are in fact truths so consider an athlete who achieves great success perhaps even winning gold medal at the olympics and then they rest satisfied on their past achievements and stop exercising what happens What happens in our hearts and minds and comprehension and character, insight, wisdom, understanding, spiritual development, if at one point we might have had spiritual fruit being produced, but then we rest satisfied and stop exercising our ability, stop studying, stop giving, stop practicing godly methods in our life. What happens if we rest satisfied? This is what happens in all religions, traditions set up creeds, fundamental beliefs are set down. People are indoctrinated to a certain ideology not to think not to understand, not to wrestle out the issues and develop within themselves the ability to discern the right from the wrong. Maturity, in Hebrews five fourteen. the mature of those who've developed by practice the ability to discern right and wrong. No, that's not what we do in religion. We tell them the answers. Just memorize the answer list. Go in for an exam. Here are the answers, one through a hundred. Just remember the answers. Don't have any idea what the problems are, how to solve them. Just know the answers. Here's your, here's your 27 fundamentals, 28 fundamentals. Know the answers. That's all you got to do. This does not develop maturity. We don't grow up this way. In fact, it infantilizes us and makes us blind adherents, surrendering to ecclesiastical authorities, which is what institutions want. They want blind adherents who will give their money every week to support the institution. And that's true whether it is in a religious context or a political context. Both groups want blind adherents who don't think will just do what somebody
3: in authority tells them is the right thing.
2: Well,
1: we do
3: that in education. We do that in everything. Politics. Medicine. Sadly, one my mentor, he called it ecclesiastical secession.
0: This, is, this, in my view, dwarfs the mind, stunts the character, and hardens the heart to do this. This is why come in Reason Ministries, I say it over and over again, say it again today, never wants to tell anyone what to think. It's not our goal to tell you what to think. Our goal is to present ideas and concepts to challenge you to think, to stimulate you to go, whoa, I never thought, I've got to go look that up, I've got to study that out. To get you to go home and think these things through and come to your own conclusion. Because it says in Romans 14, 5, every person is to be fully persuaded in their own mind to persuade you with evidence that you've thought it through. And you go, oh, that makes sense. The lights go on. You have comprehension and understanding. That results in real faith and real trust. Indoctrination, set of list of rules, beliefs, that doesn't result in any maturity at all. Yes?
3: I think that's also the root (coughs) of joy that Wendell talked about because the confusion of what you believe, there's so many different belief systems. There's a verse in the very next chapter of John. Until now, you've not asked anything in my name. Ask and you'll receive and your joy will be complete. So that can apply to understanding, to uh, understanding truth.
0: That's right. Yeah, no, absolutely. So it said, yes. Would,
3: would a litmus test for well-founded faith be, if it leads the truth and love, then it's the right path, or it could be the right path?
0: Truth and love. They're the core. Truth and love. Now, we are finite. We are finite, so there's always going to be truth beyond our comprehension. So it's not coming to a certain set of truths that we can then say, this is the truth. It's coming to a heart that says, I love truth, and I want to grow in truth, and I want to advance in truth. And whatever I understand today, I want to grow more and more. Because even in eternity future, God is infinite, we're finite, we never Enter infinity. There's always more to comprehend, always more to advance in. So it's a heart that loves and wants to assimilate and apply it as we comprehend it, rather than we possess it and here it is, we've defined it, we've laid down our stakes, and nothing else shall penetrate. That's not that's not it. Yes.
3: They say that plants have a, a very small amount of sodium or salt in the leaves, in the in the end at the end points where all the sap goes, right? And so that's drawing the moisture. That helps to draw the moisture. I think of, of this as sort of a parable of, of what we do in truth. If, we, if the end goal is the, the truth that, that helps us to draw strength and also to draw, well, um, power to grow, shall we say, um, then that's the way it works.
0: That's why we're the salt of the earth. We're to increase the thirst in people for truth and love, to help them become thirsty for more of God's kingdom. And also to be a savor, to give a flavor that's enjoyable to the to God's kingdom. So people want more of it. So that's what it means. But but if we lose the saltiness, then you know, thrown out becomes dirt. So All right, Monday's lesson. It says read Galatians five, twenty two and twenty-three. But the fruits of the spirit but through the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. What does it mean, against such things there is no law?
1: If you're not doing anything against the law, the law will judge you.
0: What does it mean, love is fulfillment of the law? Love is fulfillment of the law the paradigm. What is the first fruit listed in this list? Love. Yeah. It goes back to design law. It's basically saying there's no list of rules against this. There's no wrong being done when you practice it, because this is how life works. You
3: could also say that it's fruit singular. If you read the verse. Yeah. Fruit is love. Yes. The flower is all these other things.
0: And the core of God's character is love, pure, selfless love. Uh, the lesson rightly points out that love is far more than human affection, far more than human affection. What is the difference between gifts of the Spirit and fruits of the Spirit?
1: Well, to me, a gift is given to you, and the results of the of getting the gift of the Holy Spirit is the release of to others of the Holy Spirit through you, your fruit. So it's a flow. It represents a flow from God to you and then from you to others.
0: Gifts are abilities. Gifts are abilities. Enablings. Organizational ability. Ability to preach, teach, speak effectively. Ability to speak in different languages. Ability to diagnose and treat health problems. Skills as artisans, craftsmen, musicians, artists. These are gifts. These are abilities. Gifts can be bestowed instantly if God so chooses. Instantly gift somebody with an ability. Gifts don't change who the person is in character. Samson was gifted with strength. That was a gift of the Spirit. But it didn't determine his character and how he used the strength. Solomon was gifted with wisdom. That's an ability. But it didn't determine his character and how he used it. And he did many corruptible things. Okay, Fruits are traits of character that are the outgrowth of choices for good or ill. Those who choose to partake of Christ, as we talked about how that is, partaking and practicing love, partaking and practicing truth, open their hearts to trust, experience a change in their character from fearful and insecure and selfish and impulsive and impatient to the list we just read. But those who reject Christ and choose instead the principles of the world also develop fruits. But they dealt fruits of cruelty, fear, insecurity, selfishness, dis- dishonesty, and so forth.
3: And needing others to govern them.
0: So, the idea of experiencing God's love and truth. Is experiencing God's love dependent upon which organization one belongs? Is, does our method of baptism determine whether we experience God's love? Does the day we attend church determine whether we experience God's love? What does impact our ability to experience God's love? What about the ideas or beliefs we hold about who God is? Can that impact our ability to experience His love? If we have ideas about Him, that we need to be protected from Him. And we create theologies to hide ourselves from Him. And I'm going to tell you, functionally, most of Christian atonement theology, most of the, the metaphors used are interpreted through functional application of something is being done to protect or hide me from God. Covered by the righteous the robe of righteousness is not taught in its true sense, which means that we have the law written on our hearts and minds. We, Our thoughts are brought into harmony with his thoughts. Our desires are changed to be like his desires. We live his life. This is what it means to be covered in the rope of righteousness, an actual transformation. That's not how it's taught. It's typically taught that when we're covered in the righteousness, then when the Father looks at us, he can't see our wickedness because we're shielded by the righteousness of Christ that stands between us and the Father. Notice, hiding us from the Father. (laughs) Jesus as our intercessor, pleading to the Father to not be angry, rather than Jesus as the Father's ambassador, envoy, to us to reveal the truth about the Father to win us back to him. The blood, covered by the blood, washed in the blood, the blood applied to the books. All these things are doing doing what? To erase history, to wipe out record books. I just heard on Christian radio this week, and I can't listen to it for very minutes at a time because the stuff put out is so distorted. But just this week I was listening to a pastor on the local radio. And he said, you know, when we confess our sins, Jesus erases them out of the record books in heaven. And therefore, there is no punishment from the Father because our sins have been erased from the books please folks can you it, 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 notice that teaching teaching us a God we can love and trust or a God we need to be protected from oh we got to do something to protect us from him because he'll plummet boy I'm glad he goes got a race because if he saw him woo I'd be in trouble <laughs> okay so ideas about God obstruct what about ideas that we hold about what sin is and how God addresses it do you know more people that I've encountered across the world Christians are afraid of God, who's trying to save them, than they are of sin, which is killing them. They're more afraid of God than they are of sin. What about how, how about this, something that can interfere with our ability to experience God's love? What about this one? How we have been treated by others, especially those who claim to be God's representatives. I had somebody tell me that they grew up in a Seventh-day Adventist community, as a village student going to a educational experience where somewhere in the dorm and on sabbath morning decided they wanted to go to church at the chapel where the village, where the dorm students were and so went in with a nice pair of pants and a nice blouse female and the faculty told her she could not she had to go home and change because she, only pants allowed were matching pantsuits or a dress or skirt that girls but but I'm a village student doesn't matter you can't stay here like that she left and never went back. Never went back. Representing Jesus. Is this how Jesus behaves? Yes. Somebody online?
1: How can we believe in or accept that God loves us when we see how detestable we are? How
0: can we believe that a doctor cares for us when we see how sick we are? I mean, seriously, it's the lens you look through. If you look through level four lenses, we're, we've done bad stuff, we deserve punishment. We can't be lovable, but when you look at through the lens of design law, health kit law, it doesn't matter. You have a child who's very sick, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, bruises, bleeding out their nose. They are sick. Maybe they got broken bones, and the bones are sticking out the flesh, and it's repulsive to look at. It's awful. How many of you go, oh, that that child's so messed up, I don't want anything to do with him? No. It, it if you if you have the right heart anyway, it, it instills greater compassion and greater desire to intervene to help restore them because you can see past the sickness to what they will look like when this sickness is eradicated, and you can see their health and what they'll look like. So God is looking past the sin sickness to what we will look like when we partake of Christ and we're restored to his original design. That's what he's looking for. Yes.
3: That thinking comes from the assumption that our value and our identity come from our performance, whether it's good or bad.
0: And that comes from the human law concept. We get rewarded for what we do, we get punished for what we do, rather than the value in who we are. That's exactly right.
1: i medical person. I get, you know, if you're ever taking care of someone who's been abused by someone else, a child being abused by a parent, or, you know, you feel nothing but um, empathy for the poor abuse victim... But sometimes it's hard to restrain the feelings you have about the person who put that child there. You know, they come visit and all, oh, you know, my poor baby, and they're the ones that actually caused the injury. So you have two of God's children, one getting injured that you're taking care of, the other one that did the injury that needs as much help or more in a different sort of way.
0: Thank you for saying that last portion because this is what most people miss. The one who is doing the injury is the one who's being most injured. Do you understand that? The child who's being injured is not having their soul destroyed. When you injure somebody else, you sear your conscience, you warp your character, you harden your heart. A person who is a victim of abuse, even as a child, they can have their, their body injured, they can have their psychology injured, so they grow up with distorted ideas, but their consciences remain clear. They have not perpetrated evil. But When you perpetrate evil upon another person, you actually damage your conscience, you warp your character, you destroy your soul. And so they are destroying themselves, taking themselves further and further out of harmony with God's design. We miss that oftentimes when we look through that rule book lens. Tuesday's lesson, uh, the first paragraph, and we're not going to uh, probably get to read it all, but well, I guess it's a short paragraph. It says, Romans 14.7 reads, For the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That is, joy is That is, joy is love's reaction to the blessing of God and his great mercy and forgiveness. And then it says in the next paragraph, it says, The joy that is rooted in the fruit of the Spirit, however, focuses on God and what he has done for us. Now let's just be clear, there is no question there is joy in experiencing God's love, no question there is joy in experiencing His forgiveness, His grace, His acceptance, His reconciliation, unity, removal of guilt, removal of shame, there's all that, there's no question there's joy in that. But I'm still a little comfortable with that statement, because I think there's another joy that is the ultimate joy, Hebrews 12.2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him... Anybody know how it finishes? Endured the cross. cross, Scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What does it mean? What joy? Is there joy in sacrificing yourself for someone you love? Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Because the lesson, if you notice, it's it's a subtle thing. And it's not an exact wrong thing there is joy in experiencing God's love and what he's done for us there's no question but then if we're made in his image and we he who did not think equality with God was something to be grasped, but humbled himself in the form of a servant all the way to the cross and if we become like him and walk that path do we experience the joy of self-sacrificial giving and does that take us to another plane of joy that is different than just being the receiver of gifts that we get the joy of giving of gifts
2: so some of you Dying, giving their life for it to save someone else's life, actually feels joy in the process of dying. So did Christ feel joy as he was dying on the cross?
0: This is what it says: for the joy set before him. So it doesn't mean he experienced pleasure. Okay, there's a difference in pleasure. Okay, but I'll give you this, one, this this example. I've used it before. You uh, you see your three year old child stumble out into the street, and a car's about to hit them. You have just enough time. If you act right now, you can shove your child out of the way. But if you do, you get hit. And so you shove your child out of the way and you see your child hit the grass on the other side and you know now your child is safe. What emotion are you experiencing? Joy, but you're getting hit. Okay? This isn't a fun experience. You're not happy about getting run over by a car. It's not your wish to be crushed like this. But because you love that other more than self, there's joy there. Okay? That's, that's it. That's what we're trying to say. And I think that's... What heaven will be populated with. What makes heaven heaven is that every being who ends up in the new heaven and earth will love you more than themselves, and you will love them more than self. That's how the whole thing works. We won't live in a universe when God has his way where we have angels with flaming swords on every street corner. I just saw highlights in the news yesterday about what happened in Paris at the Louvre. You saw that? And it, and it showed just some street corners in Paris now. And in the street corners in Paris, they have guys in military gear with their M's, not M's, whatever their assault rifles fully dressed out in groups of four on almost every street corner in Paris now. Is this what you want heaven to be like? We're safe because God's got an angel who's going to take the head off of anybody who tries to do wrong.
3: <laughs> Steal my driveway of gold. No!
0: It's going to be because everybody there would rather die than hurt another person. They love each other more. And the joy. Everybody gets joy in helping and serving others. Okay? You remember the uh, metaphor. The metaphor of the soup. Remember? Heaven and hell. You got People are sitting with a bowl of soup around a round table. And the bowl of soup is way out in front. And they all have long spoons. And the spoons are longer than their own arms to reach. And in heaven... Everybody is feeding the person around. They're all fat, happy, laughing, and joyous. They all feed everybody around them. They look at hell, same table, same spoons, same bowl, and everybody's trying to feed themselves, and they're all starving and dying. And that's hell. Okay? I know we're, we're already over time.
4: The passage we read was the joy that was waiting for him. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't experiencing joy at the time he was being crucified, but the, there was a joy waiting for him.
0: Yes, But it was, but he, in the same way, I think the example of the parent, it was the joy and it was, it was in a certain aspect of it, knowing the outcome. Uh, I didn't get to this in the lesson, but it talks about the peace as one of the things, the peace. And I was going to have you process that one of the fruits of the spirit is peace. But Jesus said, do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword and we won't have time to unpack that so that's your homework you get to go home and say wait the fruit of the spirit is peace but Jesus did not come to bring peace he brought a sword how did those reconcile? our gracious heavenly father we thank you so much for all that you have done through Jesus and now that you're doing through the spirit to apply all that Jesus has accomplished into our hearts and minds so that we can be partakers of the divine nature enlighten our minds to the truth Give us insight and wisdom, and as we choose it, come into our hearts and establish your methods, your principles, your character of love, so that we can reveal you faithfully. We pray in your holy name. Amen.